Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here from scottsbasislessons.com and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast. And this week we've got a returning a returning interviewee. We've got Damien Erskine with us, who is, I know many of you will know that Damien is an absolute monster bass player. He's based over in Portland um, and he's just, as I said, an incredible player. He's played with a host of um, incredible artists and, and he's just one of the coolest guys you'll ever hang out with the two and which brings me on to say that we did get to hang out over in New York um, earlier on in 2017 when he was recording a a brand new course for us um, here in SBL and it was uh, it was a real fun experience Damien shared all about his right hand technique and he's actually going to talk about this in the in the interview how he developed his his right hand technique and and also you know how he how he started to develop that technique and and specifically how long it took him to actually get it into his playing in a real sense you know so he could use it on gigs it's a really fascinating subject actually because at one point or another, we're all going to want to change our technique in a certain way. So it's fascinating listening to somebody as advanced and proficient as Damien talking about this exact subject and how it took him, you know, it took him a while, as it will probably take you. And it's certainly taken me a while in the past to uh, get technique changes into my playing. So, so actually, without further ado, I'm, I'm going to hand over to Nick, our resident uh, interviewer here on the SBL podcast. Actually, Nick does a ton of other stuff as well at SBL, but uh, you guys listen to him every week uh, interviewing the guys. So I'm going to hand over to Nick and uh, I'll catch you at the end of the interview. Take it easy, guys. Hey, guys, welcome back to another episode of the SBL podcast, joined today by Damien Erskine, all the way from Portland. Is that right? Portland, Damien? Oregon. Yes. I thought so. Yeah, cool. Um, we're going to catch up today with Damien because if you haven't heard Damien's just released a killer new uh, course via the SBL Academy all about contemporary groove techniques um, which basically really gets to grips with your right hand technique Damien all about how to apply grooves and chords different voice leading applications and how to improvise over chord changes which is a big part of your sound right um, yeah, yeah. Where did that kind of fascination with um, grooves and improvisation come from? Do you think? Well, uh, from two places. One, I uh, I was a drummer before I was a bass player, so I've always thought rhythmically. Um, I always associated and identified more with, you know, pocket and feel. Um, harmony was kind of a foreign concept to me for a long time. So I naturally gravitated towards <clears throat> just grooves and feels and phrasing. Um, and then I got into harmony and jazz harmony and chords and all that stuff specifically because I felt like I was so far behind in that regard that I wound up pouring all of my focus into that for quite a few years. And how about the right hand? I mean, that's the thing that really <laughs> makes you, I think, stand out from a lot of other bass players. Ah, thanks. Yeah, that kind of came out uh, across as a, it stemmed from a, well, from necessity. I had a bass that I loved, um, but it was a, a six string with a graphite neck, and it, it just sounded a little too pingy to me, um, especially the C string on the graphite neck. It always had just, it was a little thinner and a little sharper of a point on the notes than I, than I, my ears wanted. So I naturally started trying to, just palm mute everything 
to try and round the sound out and get a little more thump out of it. And uh, coincidentally, at the time, I was touring with a banjo player quite a bit, and I started picking his brain about some three-finger um, banjo roll exercises uh, because I, I also f I felt so handicapped when I was palm muting. My technique just got crippled. Uh, so I started trying to incorporate my thumb more, and then it just it just kind of evolved into its own thing. Where were you in your sort of stage of development at this point? How long had you been playing the bass? Well, it's interesting because I've, I've technically been playing since I was six. Um, but bass, aside from, okay, I quit for about seven years. <clears throat> but bass was, uh, when I was younger, was always something um, my grandfather made me practice. He wanted me to learn an instrument and he forced me to practice bass every day. But what I really loved was drums. So I'd practice my bass for an hour doing the stuff he told me to do, which was all scales and finger exercises. And then I would go to my drums and just kind of go crazy and do my own thing, <clears throat> presuming that I was going to become a drummer. Sure. Um, so I wound up becoming actually better schooled on the bass by virtue of the fact that I was doing all these specific exercises, whereas I was self-taught on the drums. <clears throat> and then when I got to college, I started as a drum major at Berklee College of Music. And because I was self-taught, and never really got into rudiments or anything like that. I was more of a metal guy, so it was all single-stroke rolls and you know blistering bass drum. Um, I was so far behind that I, I just kind of dropped it and flipped my major to bass, but at which point I had never played bass with other humans. I'd never played in a band. I'd never made music. I'd only ever read music and practiced scales. So that's when I realized how far behind I was on the harmony stuff, and that's when I really started trying to dive in and understand what was going on, you know, how people even came up with bass lines. I had no idea. I just, I could read them out of a book if you put them in front of me, but I had no idea how to come up with my own. And when did this, this kind of palm mute kind of hybrid technique come into play? Um, probably about 10, 12 years ago, I'd say. Right around the time I moved to Portland 13 years ago, and it was um, right around that time. So that, uh, that that you already, you already had some some chops together, just as a regular kind of finger. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah. My, I could I could always play fast and do all that stuff. I just didn't know what to play, sure. <laughs> unless he put it in front of me on a page um, for quite a few years. And, and thirteen, your, your kind of history as a drummer had a, a a real effect on the way you played bass. Did you notice that? Or did other people notice that from time to time? Um, other people pointed out to me that I was naturally, that I was very good at listening to drummers and anticipating, you know, maybe where they were going or kind of reading what they were doing and, uh, really, you know, understanding how they were setting something up when I could feel them transitioning into different kinds of feels and grooves. Um, to me, it was just naturally how I, how I play it. I always, when I listen to albums, even still, I, I tend to always listen to the drummer so I'm, I'm always very in tune with what the drummer's doing. And once it was pointed out to me, then I started maybe paying a little more attention and trying to be more intentional in the way I interacted with the drummer and other musicians. So do you find that way you were kind of being, you found yourself being led by the drums in a kind of uh, subconscious level? Well, maybe initially I was looking to the drummer to tell me what to play. Right. Um, uh, once I started getting a grasp on 
just harmony and how and groove construction and stuff like that. Um, then it became more of an interactive, a two-way relationship. You know, then I started being able to really have conversations, musical conversations with people. Um, but yeah, my, my, my first focus is, is almost always the drummer. And you're talking about harmony there, your knowledge of harmony, but not just your knowledge of it, the way you use it really incorporates some really interesting techniques and, and sounds as well from the bass. I mean, a lot of players have that knowledge and you don't always use all of it, but some of the grooves I've seen you play, you, you do use all of it <laughs> <laughs> and you're playing chords and you're playing all these different registers. In a way, in a way, a lot of that came about specifically because I was still thinking like a drummer. And when I talked about music, I tended to talk to a lot of drummers and I always loved the way drummers practiced because they have a very analytical, uh, analytical way. Um, maybe it's just an organized way of taking apart grooves, working on little bits, flipping them around on themselves and trying them on different subdivisions and moving things around the placement of the beat. Um, and I, I just was always very intrigued and I always understood and kind of naturally gravitated towards that kind of practice. So once I started working on harmony, it was kind of a natural step for me to take all of my rhythmic stuff and start applying it to all of my harmonic stuff and see what I could come up with. Cause I was, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just started trying to think logically about it. So were you playing those grooves before you figured out what you were actually playing or was it the other way around? It was the other way around. A lot of the grooves, you know, for example, a lot of the grooves in the right hand drive book, which is a lot of the stuff we, we talk about in this course came about as my way of exploring harmony in a way that kept it interesting for me. Um, my biggest problem was that I have a, I have a really short attention span when I'm practicing bass because I just find playing bass by myself totally boring. I'm a, I'm a kind of a team player. I need a band to interact with to really have fun with it. Um, so in, in, uh, introducing rhythm and interjecting all of these right-hand exercises was why, my way of trying to keep it interesting for myself and having fun with it. And then I wound up coming up with a lot of the stuff in this book. So how would you describe this, this technique, your right-hand technique, to a regular bass player who's not really discovered anything like that yet? Um, it's basically just a, a, the incorporation of the thumb along with um, the normal two plucking fingers. Um, and with regard to the, the, rhythm, you know, the, the type of grooves that are in this book, it's, a, it's kind of a hyper-rhythmic um, and melodic exploration of sound you know i'm kind of trying to play bass and drums and piano at the same time sometimes just trying to be my own band to try and keep my keep, make it sound like music while i'm playing and not just a bass player in his bedroom plucking along and is are there any sort of special requirements that you've had to get from your instruments to be able to play this way in terms of um string spacing or special strings or higher register longer fingerboards, anything like that? Well, I certainly have my preferences. I don't think any of them are a requirement for anybody else. Um, but I like a, I like a fairly narrow string spacing. Mm -hmm. um, I got really accustomed to uh, the string spacing on my, on my Zahn, uh, which was 16 and a half millimeters. Okay. And all of my sh I now I play shoal basses. Um, I just fell in love with his stuff, and all of those, even the four strings, have 16 and a half 
millimeter string spacing because it just I realized it was a comfort zone for me and it was where I felt comfortable regardless of how many strings I was playing. Um, and I've always been a ramp guy. Um, now I have a specific kind of pickup shell that Pete and I use um, that in court that kind of covers. It's a, it's actually an oversized pickup mold. The pickups are built inside of it. Um, but it's, it's essentially just a, a ramp that's contoured exactly as my fretboard is contoured. So I have an even, even amount of space under the strings between the pickups for my right hand. Um, that does help to facilitate the technique quite a bit because you're never digging in too deeply or, or getting your fingers, you know, caught on strings and stuff. So these are things to make your, your right hand more comfortable, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's physiology is different. Um, it, a lot of it is really about exploring your instrument and your natural playing position and how your body wants to interact with the instrument and then trying to foster the connection between your body and the instrument. So you're not fighting yourself or the instrument. What advice would you give to people who have tried this technique? And I, I've tried it a few times and I found it, I got frustrated with myself quite quickly purely because it's so alien to me and it, it felt like I'd start in bass again. Yeah. It was a similar kind of feeling for me. How did you fight, um, fight through that? Well, uh, initially, the first thing I realized when I started messing with the three-finger thing, and I, I committed to it pretty early because I, I quickly realized how much more facility it gave my right hand, just the ability to stay in one position and play low notes with my thumb and higher notes with my other fingers in addition to the single-string stuff. Um, but the, the first thing I realized very quickly on was that um, – I had a lot of catching up to do with my thumb with regard to muscle memory. So one of the first things I did was um, I just started playing with my thumb a lot. I would take lines or even on gigs too, um, where I'd normally be playing with these two fingers and I would just eliminate one and instead do everything with my thumb and index and then thumb and middle. And I would just, I played exclusively with my thumb as much as I could. Um, for, for quite a while just to get it used to, you know, and in the shed, I'd be focusing on, um, uh, you know, the, the, at the attack, getting a uh, consistent attack between all three fingers. Cause you know, the thumb's stronger and fatter. So there's a tendency to accent everything with the thumb. And I started paying really close attention and just trying to control, control it as much as possible and build that muscle memory. So I didn't need to think about it. And a lot of the grooves in this course focus around that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it may be deceptive when you're reading through a book because, um, you know, flipping from one page to the next, going from one type of exercise to another type of exercise, you know, in the book they might be separated by a page or two, but in reality they might have been separated by six months or so sure. of shed time. Um, so... You know, I wasn't just plowing through like, yeah, got that next thing. You know, I was like really sitting on stuff for a while um, to incorporate it and make it feel as natural and comfortable as possible. What has this now you've, you've really got this technique under your belt. Um, what has it given you or allowed you to be able to do as a bass player, do you think? Um, it's just it's just, you know, it's more more tools in the bag. Sure. Um, it's it's really just made my right hand just incredibly fluid and now I don't need to think about fingering or anything I just as soon as I know how I want a line to sound and what I want to play 
my right hand just does what it needs to do to make that happen. Um, so it's it's made playing more effortless, um, both physically but also intellectually, um, because I've worked so many different types of patterns with my fingers um, that now it's just a natural. It's it's made my connection to the instrument better. It's just a natural extension, and now I can really just try and think of shape of lines and phrasing, and I don't need to think about the technical aspects of actually executing a line. Like I used that, to. Do you find that you interpret music differently because because you have all these additional tools at your disposal? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think with every every uh, stride I've taken uh, with regard to my ability to play music has affected the way I hear music and the way I listen to music. Um, I think it's all connected. I don't know if it's. Um, if you can ever say it's it's better or, or worse or more uh, evolved um, or not, but it's certainly affected the way I, I internalize music. I think, you know, probably just because I've spent so much time focusing on rhythm and I tend to think so rhythmically, and I think that's affected the music that I gravitate towards when I listen and, and how I internalize songs when I play them. Speaking of rhythm, let's let's just touch on your uh, your playing with with Pete in the trio. Okay. Um, what's that like, and why do you think it works so well? Um, yeah, it's interesting that that trio, Peter Erskine and Vardan of Sepian, um, Peter Erskine's good Weather Report yeah. fame, drummer and bass desires, and uh, I mean everybody. Um, Vardan of Sepian is an amazing uh, Armenian pianist who lives in Los Angeles these days. Um, he's just got a really unique and uh, really heartfelt sound and, uh, and musical aesthetic. And it's an interesting combination. Um, I think it works partially, works as well as it does partially because all three of our voices are different but complementary to each other. Really, really nice balance mix, I think. Thank you. Yeah, and and for me, I mean, it's a, it's an honor for me to play in that trio. Honestly, I never thought that I would. I just thought Uncle Pete would always be Uncle Pete. I didn't think we'd ever share a stage. Um, one because jazz is not my first language, and it's very much his 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 first language. Um, but also because we're just you know, he's such a. a I, I consider him you know a, a real artist when it comes to playing music, and I just always considered myself kind of a groove guy. Who, who could do other things as well. <clears throat> but uh, this music, <clears throat> which is very much uh, part of uh, Vardan's sound, he tends to arrange everything for the group um, and make it his own, even when it's my composition or Peter's composition. Um, Peter and I, I think, I think Vardan is the uh, kind of the bridge between us. Sure. And for me, the thing, the thing with the trio, um, the thing I've gotten the most out of it um, is learning and paying attention. I call it the art of reduction. You know, there's nothing there that isn't in service to the music and trying to, trying to play the song and make it the best we can make it. Um, and I've, I, have, I have Peter to thank for that. He, he Early on, especially when we first started playing together, I had a lot of natural tendencies. I thought, man, this is, you know, 
Peter Erskine and Vardan and everybody come to the concerts expecting to hear some really high level stuff. Yeah. So I tended to overdo it a little bit and try and I felt like I needed to be impressive. And <clears throat> Peter really taught me how the, the the best way to play impressively is to play the song as well as you can play it and just always do the best job you can in service of the music. Um, and so it helped me to eliminate a lot, you know, trim a lot of the fat off of my playing. Um, I got rid of a lot of the extraneous stuff and really focused on, you know, locking with him, supporting Vardan, interacting with them in a musical way. But never, you know, if I didn't hear it, I didn't play it. And that's, I used to always feel pressured to play a lot of impressive things just to be impressive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the art of reduction, you know, just playing the music and creating even creating a little bit of tension by virtue of your simplicity maybe keeping something so simple and so straightforward that people think hey you know where are they going like what's going to happen is something going to and then when you yeah, do yeah. you do you know turn that corner and take it somewhere else it's that much more impactful and so you know being patient with the music and letting it evolve at its own pace yeah i love that i was speaking to dave holland not so long ago and he was saying mm. that miles davis that was his real art being able to take a song and just find the best 10% within that piece. And yeah. Just, just keep that. Yeah. Um, similar kind of thing with Pete, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, I, I think he's made it his mission in life um, to be the drummer who will, who can best represent the music that he's playing, you know, and he's, he's just, he's so easy to play with everything. Just, feels right um you're not fighting anything when you play with him and I, I realized that's kind of why he is who he who he is and why he's still um as well respected as he is because sure. um, he's he's got nothing to prove to anybody but himself and his only his bar for himself is musicality above all else how about when you solo i've heard you do some great work with that trio having that knowledge of harmony and again being in a trio where you're, you're fairly exposed um, and just playing a really nice solo that has such a, a compositional element to it rather than just an improvisational thing. Yeah, and compositional is the key word. Um, that's another thing I kind of got from Peter, and that's the word he would use um, for it. Um, you know, I my when I solo, there's two things I try and do. Um, the first is to relax and breathe. So, you know, if you see us in concert, chances are if you paid close attention, maybe four to eight bars before a solo, you'd see me taking some kind of deep, calming breaths sure. just to try and settle my mind a little bit, a little bit and keep me from thinking, I got a solo, I got a solo, I got a solo. Here comes the solo. <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, and just relax. And then the second thing um, is I try and begin – every solo with a melodic statement. And my hope is that that melodic statement will then lay the foundation for whatever is going to happen next. So I try and play something musical and interesting in hopes that that'll, that, and if I'm relaxed enough, I can listen to myself and respond naturally. So I'm hoping to, to lay a nice foundation for myself or lay some groundwork for myself to then, just kind of have a musical conversation with both myself and those around me. 
um, without trying to think of, you know, licks, chops, anything but call and response using space effectively, not trying to overstate anything, just, you know, trying to keep it natural. How do you, f- you feel when I find when I'm soloing sometimes I either feel I get a big rush of adrenaline if it's, if I think it's going well or a yeah. of panic if it's not. And, <laughs> and either way the solo ends up suffering because of it. What's your kind of mantra for just delivering a really nice solo like without being uh, by such things? Yeah. My, my uh, mantra has kind of become a uh, uh, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, I try, I realize that, you know, I will, I'm always going to make mistakes at some point. Um, and I, there's nothing I can do about the mistake I just made. Um, and I know through experience that if I'm hyper-focused on that mistake I just made, everything else from this point on is going to suffer. So I immediately, you know, if I realize, you know, it's like when I'm playing, I'm like, kind of filling a bucket and when if i make a big mistake it's like i just dropped a big pile of dirt in the bucket <laughs> so instead of like sitting there staring at this muddy water i just dump the bucket and start over again right. and just I, I i double down on my focus i stop thinking about man we've got an early lobby call tomorrow i hope i get some sleep tonight i just like put everything into the music and uh i just try and pay attention and make musical choices and you know we have uh, everybody has good nights and bad nights. My goal has always been that my worst night still be, you know, acceptable. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think the more, you know, ex- experience comes into play um, because it's a, it's kind of a matter of uh, percentages. You know, if you've only have two, if you've only had two gigs, and you completely biffed one of them. Like the next gig, you're gonna think, you're gonna think man, I got a, I got a 50% chance of really blowing this, you know. Um, but with every, with every successful experience, the percentages work in your favor. At least for my own sense of anxiety, that's kind of how it worked. Sure. Um, every time I got freaked out about a gig, I would work so hard because I was just convinced I was going to embarrass myself and never, you know, and ruin my, my name and never get hired again. Um, that I would work so hard and then the gig would go really well and I would realize, Hey, I'm good enough to do that. You know? And every time that happened, it made me a little more comfortable and a little more comfortable and question myself a little bit less and a little bit less. Um, so for me, I think it was really just a matter because I did have a lot of anxiety for a lot of years, especially because playing bass was not my, not really my thing. And I always felt like a little bit of a fraud, um, calling myself a bass player. Um, but through, through the years taking every gig I could possibly get and, you know, maybe having an average of, you know, 150, 200 gigs a year for the past 15 years. Um, eventually I slowly realized that like, you know, bad mistakes happen, but they're certainly not the end of the world. And more often than not, things are going to go well and you're going to have a great time. So just relax and enjoy yourself. Sure. I'm going to that's kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you said there about coming to the bass, feeling like a fraud as you were, you've been playing drums for so long. Do you think that mindset kind of made you feel more comfortable when you began stretching out with these different techniques and playing with chords and um, three, 
you know, this right hand, this really progressive right hand approach? Um, I don't know. You know, in a way that, that sense of, uh, feeling like a fraud, um, didn't go away, um, regardless of how much I was doing what came naturally to me versus, um, just playing something of somebody else's, um, until, until I had started doing some of the high level stuff and realized that I was, you know, listening back and realizing that it sounded like music, you know, that I was capable of playing at a, at a, with high level musicians and not, you know, embarrassing myself. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the thing, the techniques and the harmony and the work that I had done, um, made me aware that I had something to offer. Um, especially that's when I started teaching more. Um, cause I had people coming up and asking for lessons and I'd give lessons and I never felt like I felt very much felt like a fraud as a teacher. Cause I just, I didn't even feel like a bass player. What was I doing? Charging people money to show them how to do it. <laughs> um, but it was actually my wife who told me that you have, you have something to contribute. You know, everybody has something to contribute. You don't feel like you need to know everything, but you have something you can you can give somebody. And it was that little subtle shift in perspective, um, combined with the fact that I did have kind of a you know a less common, kind of specific to me way of playing with my right hand and utilizing that. That I kind of realized, oh, okay, hey, I actually, yeah, I kind of do have a little bit of my own thing, at least in you know in certain spheres. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm not a fraud. <laughs> Bring this back to, um, the new course. Um, just to clarify a few things, you don't need to have a super custom base to be able to get to grips with this. No, no, not at all. And a lot of my students have, you know, they're, they're still playing Mexican P bases where, which are actually pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I want one myself. Um, and you know, I have a lot of students with, you know, cheap used bases. And honestly, most of them sound just as good as anything custom made. Um, and a lot of times people wind up spending too much money on custom made instruments that don't, that they wanted just because they were custom instruments and they don't actually, um, fit their playing style or their sound very well. I think it's, I think it's good for people to develop on, um, on just your average everyday instrument until they really discover really know what they want out of an instrument that this isn't giving um, instead of just wanting, you know, a Federa cause it's a Federa or something like that. But like really, really get to know your instrument and your musical voice a little bit and then start to experiment and explore different avenues. And going back to the mechanics of using this right hand technique, what advice would you give for people who find it just really alien getting this kind of new muscle memory under your belt? Take it slow and take it in bite-sized chunks. You know, there's no, there's no deadline. There's no, there's no big test on July 16th coming up. Um, it's really, you know, I, I think development in general is really all about being honest with yourself. Um, trying to, trying to figure out what you want to sound like in the first place, but being honest with yourself with regard to your strengths and your weaknesses without beating yourself up. Um, and then just I isolating those things in the shed and be like, you know, my, 
I'm really I'm really sloppy. My connection between my right left right and left hand is really sloppy. Let me just focus on that. And then breaking things down in, into as simple um, a part as you need to to slowly put it back together um, in a more solid and intentional and foundational way. Um, so I, th- I think it's really just about isolating areas of need and being as intentional um, in your focus to those areas of need as you can. And while not getting too hyper obsessed with any one thing, but trying to build a nice balanced uh, structure. And how about harmony? How would you, what would you suggest to people who want to get a better grips on harmony specifically relating to the bass, which is, it's very different to being sat at the piano where you've got all the notes in front of you. You know, most right. of the time you're just using a select few root notes with a few little um, ornaments on top. How would you suggest, or what would you advise that really helps you better your understanding well, of harmony? For me and the way my brain works, um, a quick backstory. When I switched my major from drums to bass in college, I mentioned I was super behind in the harmony department. I didn't know blues changes. I didn't know anything. Um, I never, I never got that stuff together while I was at Berkeley. <clears throat> I just, I felt like I was swimming upstream with, with lead weights tied to my ankles and, you know, just barely managed to keep from drowning, but I didn't really get it figured out. So <clears throat> I spent quite a bit of time after school. Uh, I made a decision. I said, you know, am I going to try and do this or should I just, you know, pick a career and, and try and make some money in my life? Or do I really want to do this music thing? And I decided I really want to do this music thing. It's what I love. I just need to figure it out. And so I buckled down and I worked through it systematically. And here's what's worked for me. Um, And I think it's especially true as a bass player, but it's true for any musician. Um, I focused primarily on chord tones for a long time. Because I figured, one, uh, those are one, three, five, seven of a scale. Every chord is built off of some variation of those notes. And those are the notes that are going to really outline the sound of a chord. So if you want to be able to play, uh, you know, take any kind of solo, you need to understand the chord tones and how they're operating. But especially as a bass player, those are your money notes. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're rocking the root and the fifth and you're using the third and the seventh to really outline and support everybody else. Um, I perceive the bass as the bridge between the drummer and the melodic, you know, piano or guitar player, the other melodic instruments. Um, so it's my job to lock with the drummer. And then the other part of my job is to lock lock down the harmony, like just put it on lockdown so everybody else can do what they need to do. Um, and I figured, well, there's no better place to start than with the chord tones. So I spent years on just practicing playing one, three, five, seven, and eventually in different combinations. Um, over tunes in the real book and this is still at a time when i hated jazz music you know i just figured here's a book with 600 different sets of chord changes you know or 400 different sets of chord changes and 400 melodies like what better way to start practicing music than to focus on chord structures of 100 and some different songs and uh and learn to play some of these melodies and the last thing i want to ask is if people still want to get a better understanding of, of what this technique and this concept can do. Where can they check it out? Where can they hear a good example of this kind of playing from yourself or from someone else? Um, 
Well, I mean, I have I have two albums out. Um, one called So to Speak. One called Within Sight. Within Sight is the newer one. Um, my playing style is all over those albums. Um, and any a lot of YouTube clips. I don't know of anybody who does that exactly as I do it other than um, some students I have who are probably better at it than me nowadays. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there are, a lot bass, there are a lot of great bass players who do a lot of great things with three- and four-finger techniques. Um, man, I'm, tr I'm trying to think. Like, Munir Hassan is a great, great Brazilian bass player and guitar player. Who he, He's, uh, he's kind of who I, who I want to be when I grow up, you know, musically speaking. <laughs> Um, he's incredible, incredible, both at guitar and bass <clears throat> and percussion. He kind of, he's one of those guys who does everything, you know, pisses you off. You're like, man, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he's got a very rhythmic style and, it, you know, I kind of associate with that style a lot, but as far as specifically checking out, um, my technique, I think those albums or, yeah. you know, related videos on YouTube and the book are probably the best places. And before we sign off, Damien, just give us a, a quick rundown of of what happened on the day you re you recorded the course with Scott. Just give us a bit of what goes on behind the scenes. Really All right, how it went down. All right. Well, I got there. I flew in to New York. We filmed in New York. I flew in the night before, um, and Rufus Philpot had actually just filmed some of his great courses. Uh, met up with those guys right as they were going out to dinner. Uh, so we had a hang. Woke up early the next morning early by musician standards. It's probably like 10. <clears throat> and man, it was just a gear up, head out, grab some coffee and a bagel, hit the subway, get to the studio. It was a great, uh, really interesting studio in Bushwick. I think it was, um, it was a, there was an apartment up top and then there was a recording studio directly below it. And they ran cables from one to the other. So the control room was in the top apartment and the studio was in the bottom apartment which was in the basement. And yeah, it was just a little team of us uh, set up three cameras, I think it was, and got the lights going, got everything set up, made sure we had some sound, and then just started started plowing through the stuff. Um, had to do a few things over and over again there. You know, it usually takes me a little while to kind of get in the zone and yeah. start speaking articulately. Um, but yeah, I think we recorded everything in five or six hours and then it was just it was just a total hang until the next morning when i had to fly back home and get ready to head on go out on the road again <laughs> <laughs> well it's a great course damien i checked it out today and you've done a brilliant job um, thank you definitely made me think twice about a few things and i will be revisiting that that material taking it as you said very slowly for me <laughs> to try and get um, but yeah, guys, go and check it out. It's in the Academy right now. Um, Contemporary Groove Techniques by Damien Erskine. And if you get a chance, check out Damien's website, www.damienerskine.com. Is that right, Damien? Yep, yeah, that's cool. the one. Um, check out anything he's doing with, with Peter Erskine Trio um, and those solo albums he mentioned. I have, I have a couple of those, and yeah, they're just great. Really Thank great you. to listen to someone who's doing something different and uh, definitely putting your own stamp on things. Yeah, it's great to see you again, Nick. Thank Likewise, you. Likewise, Dave. Yeah, great to hook up. Um, so, guys, check it out, and we'll see you again next time. 
Okay, guys, I just want to say a huge thanks for checking out that interview uh, with Damien Erskine and a huge shout out to Damien for being such a top bloke as well. Um, he was a real, real scream to uh, to hang out with over in New York earlier in 2017. In fact, we went out to a deli. Uh, was it DMAC? DMAC's over there. DMAC, remember when we took uh, Damien out for dinner? It was like, it wasn't a deli, was it? It was a wicked no, diner. Yeah. Like a proper American diner. Yeah, it was great. It was it, it was in Brooklyn anyway, so I'm sure that you know we, we've been we've really de- uh, delivered some amazing value here on the podcast today. Oh, there was a great um, great deli or great sorry great uh, uh, great diner in Brooklyn. Anyway, guys, um, yeah, huge shout out to Damien for being such a top guy. Um, if you want to check out his course and you are already an Academy member at scottsbayassistance.com, you can do already. You just need to jump jump on in there, log in, and you can check out Damien's course along with all of the other courses. And remember, we release a new course every single month as well. If you're not a member yet, guys, what you're doing, I would love to see you in the Academy over at Scott's Bass Lessons. So if you're a hobbyist or a semi-pro bass player and you're focusing on taking your bass playing to the next level or your bass playing is just stuck in a rut then the membership at scott's bass lessons is for you we have an awesome course library with currently over 25 step-by-step self-study courses in there now including damien's that you've just listened about you just heard heard about and you know it, it's got other courses such as the beginning jazz survival guide which is an epic or step-by-step four-hour course it's going to take you right from the start through to the point where you can feel confident enough to you know turn it to a jam session take and take care of business we've also got courses where i've got the full band in the studio with me such as the essential blues deep dive course where i teach you everything you'll need to know about playing killer blues bass lines you'll learn about kate um getting the shuffle feel down blues progression variations that you absolutely need to know intros outros turnarounds and everything in between and we've got courses on pretty much everything you can think of as well um, and you get that as part of your uh, membership when you sign up over at scottsbassessence.com there's a whole load of other stuff like the weekly live sen- seminars with all of the uh, all of our faculty and you know i'm sure just shoot over to scottsbassessence.com check it out and if you want to take it for a test drive grab the 14 day free trial it's totally risk-free and you can cancel your account within that 14-day free free trial with the click of one button and you will not be billed okay so you don't need to give me a shout you don't need to give my support a shout you can just cancel your account within the actual platform itself okay it's really easy we've set the set this up in a way that makes it so easy for people to get in there and try it out because and because i'm trying to help as many bass players as i can in the world get their you know their bass playing and push their bass playing to the next level now without further ado i'm going to uh, shoot off and record another video for youtube actually so i'm going to leave you guys and as always take it easy and i'll see you in the shed bye